Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Another brand new edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Flyers will be back in action coming up tomorrow. They'll take on the Winnipeg Jets, only game of the week. As we'll head into the All-Star break, Flyers will then have eight days between games. It'll be tomorrow night against the Winnipeg Jets to open up the February schedule. And then Wednesday, a week from this Wednesday coming up, uh, February 9th against the Detroit Red Wings at Wells Fargo Center. Then the Flyers will head out for two on the road at Detroit on the 12th and then at Pittsburgh on the 15th. And then they'll come home for a franchise-high eight-game homestand where they'll see Washington, Carolina, St. Louis, Washington to round out the month of February. Boy, that's a tough schedule. Washington twice, Carolina, and the Blues. And then you'll open up March. Uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers will be in town. And then Minnesota comes to town, Chicago, and Vegas. And that wraps up the eight-game homestand. But it is Monday, which means one thing. He joins us every Monday. It's time for a little chat with Bill Meltzer. You read his work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer, and he joins us now. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself, Jason? Feels a lot better after a lo- after a win, doesn't yeah, it? Sure. I almost said lost, geez, because you get so used to saying it, but um, they finally get a win. But where I want to start, Bill, is I actually want to start with the guy who made his NHL debut in said win. That was Isaac Ratcliffe. Now, he he's a big body, Bill, but he's not necessarily the most physical of players usually but boy he laid the wood to Mikey Anderson when Mikey Anderson tried to lay the wood to him and I thought he was physical throughout the game created himself some space got himself some scoring chances what do you think of his debut yeah and, and and really the physical element's been something that's been coming out in his game I think over the over the course of this season um I, I think over the last 15 games or so before he came up he was really making a conscious effort to to use his body more, and he was definitely, you know, being more effective as a result. Um, so that's hopefully something you can continue to build on. I mean, very good debut. He, he played less than 10 minutes, but you noticed him every time he was out there. Uh, you know, as you said, he, he laid Mikey Anderson out with a big hit. He had a couple other, you know, nice, nice solid contact in the corner, but he wasn't chasing after hits. He was taking what was there for him. Um, didn't try to do too much. He had uh, several shots on goal, including one that was a legitimate scoring chance. You know, good, solid NHL debut. Um, you know, it, it would be nice to see Isaac continue to build off of that, and um, he'll have a little more of an opportunity. Um, you know, with, while the Flyers are waiting, some bodies to come back in the lineup. So I think you'll, you know, you'll see him again out there next game against Winnipeg, and then then we'll see who comes back. But it, but if you know, but it's something it's something he can build off of. You know, Isaac, really, you have to – to me, he's had an interesting progression to his career so far because he was such a big goal scorer, you know, after he was drafted in, in, in the OHL. He had a 40-goal year, and then he had 50 plus another 16 in the playoffs. But everybody always kind of knew it was going to take him a little bit of time to uh, adapt to the pro game. Sometimes for bigger players like him, it takes a little longer anyway. Yeah. But – but just just translating, you know, because he was used to, to always being bigger and stronger, and you know, I mean, t- you know, I, uh, he, he was the biggest guy on the ice most nights, and, and he's still bigger than most opponents. But you're playing a higher caliber of opposition. You have to be, you have to be quicker, yeah. and uh, you know, learning to learn to use the size effectively. Sometimes that long reach can work against the player, you know. Um, and that's something using his feet a lot better on, on the walls, winning battles. Um, so you, know, you look back at his first year in pro hockey, um, 
I, I thought Scott Gordon made an interesting decision. I, I you know, I don't know that I necessarily agreed with it at the time because I, I'd say maybe a quarter of the way into his rookie year, um, he was moved to the fourth line and they tried to develop him as a as a fourth line guy slash penalty killer. He did, you know, he came along nicely that first year, but I thought, you know, after a guy scores like that in junior hockey, I'd like to try to develop into into a scorer. Yeah. And, um, but he, I mean, he really played the bottom end of the lineup his first year. So the the scoring numbers were modest, but there's not, there's not going to be a lot of guys who playing fourth line penalty kill, not a lot of power play time at all are going to score a lot of goals. So I, I think you have to judge it in that context. Um, and then last year was a lot, really a lost year because of all the injuries. Yeah. Um, this year, the numbers might not show it because the the goal totals and the point totals are so pretty modest. But he's taken that next step in his development to where he's he's getting more involved physically, more consistent game to game, shift in, shift out. And actually, there'd been talk about him coming up a little bit earlier than he had because he was one of the phantom guys when the, as the team started to turn things around. Well, was a part of that, you know, was was contributing. Uh, on the four check, he was contributing uh, positively to to the Phantoms starting to win win hockey games, even though the, the goal and the assist totals didn't necessarily show it. So I, I, I think what he did in his first game, just to kind of wrap that up, I think is is something that he can hopefully build off of. And I mean, it, you know, he's still only 22 years old, so you know, there's there's still time to to see him develop. Yeah, I mean, I thought the interesting thing too, you know, the the. The hit on Mikey Anderson actually, he didn't even get credit for that one because Anderson's trying to lay the hit, and yeah. um, he, he it was one of those Anderson welcome to the NHL moments probably for Isaac Ratcliffe, but Isaac kind of turned the tables on him pretty quick yeah. and just I mean he didn't hit him, he exploded him. It was impressive, but I, I liked where three of the other four hits that he got credit for did happen, and they were down below the goal line on yeah. the four check, one on uh, Drew Doughty who, by the way, his I didn't even know this. I talked to him after the game. He had the same billet family as Drew Doughty, London, Ontario. Yeah, and the billet family was actually in town for the game, and ironically, it's against Drew Doughty and the Kings. Um, Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I got lucky with that question. but um, And then the other one, the the Oli Mata hit down below the goal line on the forecheck. And I feel like I've, I've always said it. You've always said it. There's a cumulative effect to when a D gets rid of a puck and you're banging them and hitting them hard right when they get rid of it, eventually that leads to a turnover. That leads to scoring opportunities. It may not have on that particular check, but when a team is doing that and finishing their checks and relentless on it, there is a cumulative effect to that. And to me, that's a savvy play from a player to keep doing that multiple times in a game in your debut. And I think think he probably needs to grasp that element of, I need to be physical because that's going to get me more space. And even though I'm not the fastest guy in the world, I'm a big man, uh, that will get me more space to operate. Oh, no, no question. No question. Um, as, you know, as he gains a little bit of experience, guys see him coming, you know, they get the happy feedback there a little bit. And, yep. you know, it, it, it leads to, they, they rush plays, leads to turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, good things happen. And, and as you, it also leads to a wear down effect too. Um, you know, you, you just keep hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting a lot of times by the third period, it, it wears another team down. So it's all, you know, it's all good as long as, as long as, uh, he's playing with some discipline and, and he did that in, in his first game. Um, you know, you don't want to take bad penalties. You don't want to chase the hit at the expense of getting caught behind the play either. So it was, uh, you know, real, real positive start for him. I remember having a conversation with, uh, Peter LaViolette and, 
during that Boston series. I think it was after game one. And Lavi said, you know, we're just sitting there and we were having a, a cocktail. And the coaches, uh, he had a coach's dressing room over at NBA One there where they had some drinks and snacks after every game. We were, and we were talking, he said, our plan is to dump it into Char's corner every chance we get and put a body on him. It's not like you're going to obliterate Char. Okay. He's a big man. But it, there's a cumulative wear down effect when a defenseman, every time he has to turn his back to the play and go in, he knows he's getting hit. Even if the guy is nowhere near the same size or strength because nobody is to Char. But he's right. There's a wear down effect to that. And that was Lavi's plan. Put everything in his corner and put a body on him. If he gets rid yeah. of it, let him know you're still coming. Yeah, the the ultimate example of that, 74 finals, Bobby Orr. Yep. Um, you know, and or Dom, you know, you don't put the puck in Bobby Orr's corner because he's, you know, he was uh, the, he was Bobby Orr. <laughs> he was Bobby Orr. But but Chiro knew what he was doing because, you know, by game six he was worn out. And actually, you know, because he had roomed with Joe Watson back when they were the Bruins, and he and he, he caught he caught up with them after the game, and Orr said, "You guys were me out. You, you hit me all series, and I had nothing today." Yeah, Lavi used to say too, "I don't want you to just hit the guy. I want you to hit him and then lay on him, yeah. almost like make your body like a a, a wet bag of sand, right? Then he's got to hold you up because that there's a cumulative effect to all that. Like yeah. just make him carry you for a first stride or two after that hit happens." Um, and it'll wear a guy down. I've always thought that was really interesting. Uh, Bill, let's talk about the win because they get the win. And I have this theory. And tell me if I'm, don't be afraid to tell me if I'm a crackpot. But I, I have this theory that the way they won the game means more than if they won the game four to one. And here it is. Because in that game, we know that one thing they've struggled with mightily has been a, adversity. And to go into that game, if they would have come out with a 4-1 or 5-2 win, kind of a rock and chair ride, they were just the better team, and Los Angeles didn't have their A game, and, and they won a game kind of going away easily. That's one thing. Yeah, it ends the streak. That's great. But winning the game where you had multiple bouts of adversity, including them tying the game at 1922 of the third with the goaltender pulled, and you're heading to overtime. And to win it the way they did, I think, serves two masters, and it slays two dragons. It slays the dragon of, Okay, take the temperature down to use Chuck Fletcher's terms and get a win, but it also did it in the face of multiple bouts of adversity inside the game. Yeah, for sure. I I really like the way they attacked in overtime. Me I too. mean, the Flyers had the puck pretty much the whole OT. You know, they they weren't uh, you know they weren't playing afraid to lose at that point. Um, you know, listen, you really want to close that game out in regulation, and uh, but I mean that that. You know, it was a strange situation because, you know, I, I mean, Rissline probably would have had that clear, except that uh, Giroux stepped in front of him, hits him yeah. in the backside, and it goes right to Kopitar. You know, yeah. it's just just the way things have been going, the way pucks have been bouncing. Um, and to shake that off and come back and win in overtime, I mean, listen, you know, nobody's celebrating one win, but it, as you said, it takes the temperature down a little bit um, to be able to handle a little bit of adversity and actually have it pay off in a win because. You know, one of the strange things in the latter part of the 13-game winless streak was, and you and I have talked on this show quite a few times about the Flyers' record when they trailed first because it's it's abysmal. But in a bunch of those games, they were trailing at some point, even two to nothing sometimes, and they would come back in, in several of those games and get a tide going into the third period, and they would just shoot themselves in the foot again and find themselves you know, trailing. They they couldn't you know they they couldn't pull games out. So to actually get that monkey off their back and actually pull one out when, 
you know, you're, you're ahead and then every, you know, you can't pull away and, you know, you end up going overtime. It's, it, you know, it's a start. Hopefully, hopefully it's built off of something and psychologically, it definitely, you know, it's definitely a positive thing to actually put that, put that streak behind you and, you know, and, and, and turn the page. Do I have a positive and a negative to Cam Atkinson? The positive, I mean, you saw the positive on Saturday yeah. in the wind. I mean, the guy, I, I just think he's just such a hard worker and an honest player. Yeah, he's streaky because he's a goal scorer, and they are. And it may look sometimes like, you know, Cam's not on his game because the puck's not going in, but it's never for lack of effort. Yeah. It's why he's a good penalty killer. When, when a guy's a good penalty killer, it tells me a lot about their character. And especially as a skilled player, that's a good penalty killer. That tells me a lot about his character. And Cam was really good in that game. The only negative to it is that the season is so sideways that it's probably going to mean that Claude Giroux gets moved and we don't get to see more of those two players yeah. together. Because to me, they're built to play together. Oh, sure. You you have a guy with a you know the big buzz phrase, particularly this season, with the shooting mentality, and Giroux, yeah. you know, one of the purest playmakers in franchise history, you know, after only Clark. So yeah, it's a shame that uh, they'll likely only be together three quarters of one season. But it's uh, you know they're 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 fun to watch together because they read off of one another well. And you know just just the the uh, second goal that Atkinson scored the the long bouncing shot from the red line. Yeah. And the biggest, I mean, obviously he was, he was shooting looking for a rebound. He got a perfect one right on the slot. But if but if Atkinson isn't on his horse to yep. get in there and pounce on that rebound and flip it upstairs. Then it's uh it's a play you forget about two seconds later. What the hell did Giroux put on that? Because I, I very rarely see pucks bounce like that. I mean, I know it's vulcanized rubber on ice, but yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of flip shots as a goalie and watching the game for as long as I have, and I never see him like kind of kick up and out like that. I mean, it took quick by such surprise. It was like it was all of a sudden it became a super ball and took a super bounce. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was a crazy bounce you know i mean he was looking for a rebound he got a perfect rebound off and the funny thing was, was earlier in the period Dino almost kind of did the same thing yeah and he followed his own rebound up and uh you know i don't know whether Giroux said well if you could do that i could do it better you know yeah. it, was, it, it was pretty cool yeah um when you look at the kings and i brought up the ducks before but you look at the kings and they're a team that didn't bottom out bill um they they weren't good for a couple of years. They missed the playoffs for a few years. Of course, yeah, they won back. They won two cups in 12 and 14. Um, and they still have three players from those cup teams, Quick, Dowdy, and um, uh, Brown. Yeah, and Brown. Right. And you look at the the team and, the, you know, they have good young players. They drafted well with guys like Quentin Byfield. They have other good young talent there. IFO, they have some, you know, players in that, that are in all three of those categories that we talk about. Veteran core, yeah. middle core in the prime and then a young core. And yeah. they're, they're a team in the Pacific Division right now that's playoff bound as of right now. And they've recoiled well, like the Ducks, who were also in that position with that same construct, with Getzlaff yeah. and the older core, the middle core, and then the Zegris and the young core. And what are those two teams? They both have good goaltending. But you look at it, and to me, that's the blueprint for the Flyers. It's not yeah. the tear it all the way down. It's that recoil blueprint, draft well, Towards the top of the draft, Kings didn't have a number one overall pick. Yeah. The, the Ducks didn't have a number one overall pick. They picked Drysdale and they get Zegers and the Kings get Byfield. They get some good picks, but they did it. They drafted well. They developed well, and now they're back on the rebound. 
Yeah, I mean, Byfield was second overall, but yeah, they yeah. Had, they, they haven't had a, a first overall pick. I, I I do think as a as a roster building model, that's a good model to face. Where you, as you said, you're not you're not starting from scratch all over again. I mean, even even if you look at what a team like Colorado did, and I'll get back to LA in a second, but you know, Colorado was a, an eight or nine year process. But what they did was they reassessed about five years in. Yeah, and they still weren't where they wanted to be. So they 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 traded Matt Duchesne, for example, who had been, you know, in the early in the early part of that was going to be the guy they were building around. Yeah, he was a cornerstone. Yeah, he was a cornerstone piece, and you know they just weren't coming together the way that they were hoping to be after you know kind of midway through it. They took a step back and then were then were able to take two steps forward. I mean, the Flyers started putting pieces together. I I, I think that that's, you know, I I don't think you have to start from square one again. Um, and getting getting back to L.A. You know, I, I think that they they've shown the value of, of patience with some of their young players who are now right. stepping up, particularly uh, particularly Kampa being being a guy who, yep. you know, I think is a great example of that because he was underproducing for a few years and uh, they stuck with him. They they avoided, you know, they, they had trade offers for him. They stuck with him. And now now he's another player. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's hit that other level to his game. That for a while, I, I think there was a frustration where is he ever going to get there, you know? Um, or if you look, you look at Anaheim and he now, mind you, he had had, uh, you know, he had had some years in, in in Columbus first. But look at a guy like Sonny Milano, right? He, I mean, he was I think he was on waivers at one point, and yeah. he was he was a first round pick, and everybody knew the talent was there, and for whatever reason, he just didn't take that next step, and now now he looks like another player. I, I think. I think there are lessons to be learned from that. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, the, the crazies are out on social media. A guy t- tweeted me and suggested that they trade TK and Cates. I'm assuming Jackson Cates, not Noah, because Noah's not signed, right. to Seattle for uh, Brandon Tanev, who's never had more than 30 points in a season. But, um, you know, so the crazies are out. And, you know, when a team's not performing well, they love the, the, devaluate, the devaluation of players is a little out of control. I got another guy that said they need to trade TK and either York or or Forster in a number one pick for Matthew Kachuk. But as far as I know, Matthew Kachuk's not available. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You got to realize there's, there are two GMs on each side of this thing. and uh, They're not foolish, but anyway, I digress. All right, Bill. So one of the things we talked about last week was finding a way to turn this season to come out of it with some positives. And I think we saw one of them on Saturday, another young player getting an opportunity and coming in and and acquitting himself pretty well in his NHL debut and a guy like Isaac Ratcliffe. And I'm not I'm not suggesting Ratcliffe should be here the rest of the year because I think right. he still has pro game to learn and probably better suited to do that. The league not as unforgiving as the NHL and do it in the AHL. But um, there may be other players that make their debut. But when you look at it and look for the positives that they can bring forward through this year, now that the losing streak is in the rearview mirror, hopefully not only to not only to not just start a new one, but uh, when you look at it, what are some of the positives that they can bring forward in the remaining schedule they have left here? Well, I, I would like to see, uh, you know, Carter Hart has had such a really solid first half. I'd like to see Carter carry that through the rest of the season. Uh-huh. I, I think there's a very good chance that uh, Martin Jones will be moved by the deadline. You know, probably some kind of mid-round pick, but teams always need goaltending depth, and he's a guy who's 
been to a Stanley Cup final, been to a conference final, and been a workhorse when he's when he's had to be in the league. So I, I think Carter's going to see a lot of playing time for, from here on out, unless in back-to-back three and four kind of situations. So I would like to see that. Um, you know, right now it's interesting with Cam York because for the first time in his, his career, he's playing – you know, he's playing his offside on D. Um, you know, uh, he's having his ups and downs doing it. Um, but if he can, if he can continue that adjustment and have that versatility to where you could play him on either side, if you need to play him on the right side, that, that only helps a team. And you know, I I think that um, he's not getting overwhelmed by it. I I, I think that he he's adjusting. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that. I don't know that it's the ideal pairing that he's on right now, but I think that that's a valuable experience for him. Um, I, I would like to see it's now three or four games in a row where I think each game Morgan Frost has gotten a little better, a little better, a little better. And uh, last game was probably his best game, maybe his best game overall, actually, but yeah. certainly his best game since the one in San Jose. Because, you know, one thing that Mike Yo said the other day, and I thought it was really an interesting comment. You know, he said that, listen, if we moved him up in the lineup, although his line is playing well, but if we moved him up towards the top of the line, he would probably put up some more points. But he said, I'm not really worried necessarily about points from him right now. I want to see I want to see the pace. I want to see the compete level. And when those when those things become habits for him, then the skill plays will come back in with it. And we saw a hint of that um, in in the L.A. game. And it's one game. He has to keep building on it. But if you look at the first goal by Mayhew, and Mayhew's played some really good hockey, you know, yes. uh, um, in his own right and also as part of that line. But wh- how did that goal start? It started with Frost winning a board battle against oh. Byfield up high in the defensive zone. A big boy in Byfield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Broke out with some speed. Uh, hits the blue line. He, he sees um, Ristolainen on oncoming. Then Ristolainen makes a nice play, and all of a sudden it's a tap-in goal for – you know, for Byfield, uh, for Byfield, rather for for Mayhew. Um, so I, I think that that was you know, that was a positive. That that was combining some of the elements they were talking about with the skill level. And yeah. as he, you know, as he continues to hopefully commit those things to habit and, and get involved physically and get more puck touches, you know, you, you'll see you'll see more of the things that he always did at, at every other level, including the American League, and. You know, the other part of it was he had five shots on goal. And you could see some of that confidence coming back in his game yeah. because in those five shots on goal, he did he did a lot of things that I liked in that. Um, a, he was getting to the scoring areas several times. You know, he, he had a one-timer opportunity, didn't quite time the right way, but he had a, a chance from the left circle where he pulled off a, a little toe-drag stutter step move, mm-hmm. uh, used the D as a screen. And, I mean, Quick had to fight the puck off because he didn't see it until it was right on him. You know, just just trying things offensively. Uh, he it was one of the periods. I think it was the second. Uh, Frost attempted a buzzer beater shot. That yeah. uh, you know, just just little things like that. I said yeah, five shots on goal are nice, but it's also the way he was generating some of those shots. So hopefully, hopefully that's something you can continue to build on. That would be that to me would be a big positive for the rest of the season. Yeah, because to me, it's now allowing those habits. And the more that they get instilled opens up the creative elements of his offensive game. And the toe drag one, I thought it really jumped on quick. I mean, he had to make a real good pad save, right? But it was a right pad save on that because he changed the angle of his release. He's pulling it in and he he uses that defenseman's legs to almost hide the release from the goalie. And that's why it looks like it's, it's a, a rapid shot. It is a rapid shot, but it looks even more rapid 
because the goaltender can't read the release because he disguises it so well in that situation. And when you look at the numbers that he scored at various other levels, you have to have an element of that. And he does. And seeing that come out, I think, is a huge part of it. Bill, is there a part of just an attitude or a preparedness or a, I mean, I don't want to say identity because I don't think identity travels from year to year per se. I think that's something forged each year with each team. But just a, an element of how this team approaches games. And in I think you have to look at it on individual levels as well for each player. Guys like Konechny, guys like Sanheim, Provorov. I think they got to look at it on all those different levels from a, a micro and a macro standpoint. I, I, I agree. You know, and these are things that – you know, you said as a team identity that that's a year to year thing. Yeah. I, but I but I do think that um, you know that that there are there are certain things though that you want to see come together with the team. You know, I I think that the team can do better with a in terms of resiliency because that still is a work in progress, mm -hmm. right? I, I I think I think sometimes uh, the team has has fallen a little bit of woe is me when when you know when there's some adversity. And even in the current streak, you know, you would see, you'd see games, you know, that big mistake could happen in the third period and they would still deflate or, or scoring a goal and giving one right back happened even last game. Right. Yeah. Um, shorty. And then the power play goal. Shorty, shorty and the power play goal, just, you know, avoiding those kind of situations. I mean, it, it, it's something that the, it's something that the, the better teams in the league do. And the Flyers are still working towards that. Um, I, I really think that, you know, I, I think that teams, even teams that are riddled with injuries, you see teams that have competed better than the Flyers have. I, I you know, I, I think that I want to see the Flyers reestablish an identity of competing every night. You're not going to outshoot teams every period. Not Things aren't going to always go your way. You know, certainly you don't lose 13 in a row because you're, you're outplaying teams most nights. But but I think that just to just to reestablish some of the fundamentals of, of being a being a team that feels like you aren't out of a game if you're down a goal, you know that that's something that's something where you know as as a group and individually, you know they have to relearn a little bit. Um, and, and I want to see, you know, I want to see some individual players just just finish the year feeling better about themselves than, than they've been feeling for a lot of the year. You know, you see a guy like Konechny, for example. He's he put so much pressure on him. You can almost see the wheels turning in his head sometimes when the yeah. puck is on the stick. There, there was a two-on-one situation last game, and and I just felt like you know, I, I you know I think I think he shot for a rebound, and JVR was in in too close at that point. You know, rather than just reading and reacting, I I, I think that he's overthinking things a little bit. And you know, I I I, I never doubted he's a player who cares, and we've seen the skill level before. But I, but I think that uh, you know I, I just I just want to see things start to come a little bit more naturally. The guys who you know can do it because you've seen them do it before. Yeah, and that and you know what he's capable of just to find that element and that level of play and consist in a much more consistent fashion, and to come down the stretch and and that's what they need to do. And they got to find some elements of positivity to come out of this season one way or another. And um, you know, you can't make it so that it's, hey, it's a wasted season in the standings and it's a wasted season in progression because it, it, there is still something they can play for. We'll see if they do that. Bill, well done as always. Thanks for doing this. Uh, that's your Monday visit. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. 
Game day edition tomorrow. Last game before the All-Star break against the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday night. We'll preview it, and we'll bring you another brand-new episode of Flyers Daily coming up tomorrow. Enjoy your Monday, and we'll be back at it tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers Daily. Thanks. <laughs>